Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. This month, we're going to be starting a new series talking about family matters. Family matters. And November is just a time where we start really getting reconnected with our families, whether it's visiting for Thanksgiving or uh, even in preparation for Christmas time. It's just the holiday season where people end up getting together. And it's also a time where a lot of us get filled with anxiety and stress and thinking about, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to see so-and-so. Oh my goodness, I can't believe I have to face them. Can you believe what they said? Especially with an election year, it makes holidays even crazier because you're thinking, I can't believe all of the stuff they've been posting. I can't believe they commented this. I can't believe they've been saying that. And now you're going to have to face each other after all of this uh, time that we've had apart during the pandemic, um, all of this quarantine time, and you're actually going to have to see these people in person that you've been just getting more and more uh, frustrated with. Um, <laughs> Lauren just commented and uh, made me blush. So, wow, really sexy person there. Um, that's my wife, by the way. Anyone that doesn't know. Um, and uh, all of this, all of this stuff that's been just kind of building up between family members and almost like passive aggressively over this year is now going to uh, be a time where we're actually facing a lot of issues. And in general, pandemic or not, this is a time where we have to face a lot of issues and face people and talk to people that we don't even like, but they're our family. And so we're going to really just uh, go in to this whole month trying to learn how to find the best in the situation, how to experience um, it in a Christian way, in a, a godly light. So today we're going to be talking about finding peace. Look at your neighbor and say finding peace. Some of you are like, okay, <laughs> uh, finding peace. And when it comes into finding peace, I really want us to, to do our best to look at the story of Abraham, Sarah, and Ishmael. Ishmael is a person that we don't usually hear anything good about in the Bible, but today we're going to look at all of their lives and see how it applies to um, this season that we're in. Um, so the first thing I want to do is is share some scripture in Genesis. And those of y'all who have been a part of Grave Top family long enough, you know that we don't like to just give one scriptures or little coffee mug quotes. We like to really give a part of the story, um, that this, the essence of scripture that's trying to be shared. And so we're going to read in Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. I'm going to try to read it in the best way possible, but just stay with me. Now, Sadai, Abram's wife, this is before God changed Sarah's name, uh, Sadai's name to Sarah, and before God changed Abram's name to Abraham. Okay, so it's the same people. Now, Sadai and Abram's, it, now Sadai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar, so Sadai told, uh, said to Abraham, to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sadai's proposal. So Sadai 
Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So let's just kind of stop here for a second. Really bizarre scenario, right? We see the first instance in scripture to, uh, of there actually being a surrogate mom. And Sedai proposes to Abraham this, uh, why don't you just sleep with my servant and I can have children through her. And notice Abram's response like, I guess that's a good idea. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if Abram's smart or dumb. It never shows any IQ level in the Bible of Abram. But if it was me or anybody else, I think it, uh, a normal husband would be like, this is a trick. This is a test. No, I don't want to. No, <laughs> this is a complete test. I'm, I reject your, your proposal. <laughs> but Abram agrees to this proposal and has uh, sex with Sarai's servant in order to have children through her. And what we're seeing is a super complex problem and they're trying to make an oversimplified solution to it. It's a complex problem and they're trying to make an oversimplified solution. Just, just sleep with her and I'll have a baby through her. That's a, I'll get a baby. That's the result that we want. It will have no other repercussions. I'll get the baby that I want. We get the baby that we want. And that's it. There's no extra repercussions. Again, oversimplified solution to a very complicated problem. So let's continue reading. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sadai, with contempt. Then Sadai said to Abram, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now she's pregnant. She treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. And I'll admit, let's stop here in this story. For years, I used to always just see that Sarah was wrong in this story. In this part, I just feel like, well, she's clearly wrong. But I want us to take a step back because we're looking from a, a, from a bird's eye view. We're, we're not taking into account emotions, history. We're not taking into account the real raw things that are going on in this this family right now. And the Bible doesn't get make any clear judgment of whether Abram's wrong or Sarah's wrong. It doesn't make any right or wrong. And I feel like now when I look, having children myself, me and my wife, when we were trying to have kids, it took us three years. I can't even imagine waiting as long as 70, oh, they were 90 years old before they ever had a kid. And I can't even imagine waiting that long and going off of a, a promise from God saying, you will, don't worry, just keep trying. I mean, this is what we're seeing is a woman so desperate, not only to get her answered prayer, but to, to answer the prayer for her husband. And I can only imagine the conflicting emotions that she was feeling, not only before making that permission of adultery, but after I mean, how conflicted she must have felt in her emotions within herself. And that desperation she felt turned into insecurity. And this is just really so much more complex than just saying like, oh, well, that's wrong. Oh, that's, well, he's right. She's wrong. It's so much more complex to that. And when you look at the, the 
the just raw emotions and desperation that's mixed in. They were both wanting to have children. Abram would would weep and he prayed hard for a child because he wanted it too. It's not just Sarah wanting a baby and going baby crazy. This is Abram's this is part of Abram's life too. And so we see the mixture of their emotions and to her at and making this this permitted adultery she looked at it as like, well, this is my part in sacrificing for my marriage. And that, you know, don't we often get these, these dumb ideas when we're trying to make things right in our family? And those dumb ideas are usually those oversimplified solutions to complicated problems. It's like you, you constantly quarrel and fight with family members. And in your mind, you think, you know what, I'll just take it. I'll let them be right, even though it kills me inside. I'll just, I just won't say anything and I'll just harbor all of these emotions inside and I will never say anything to them. Dude, that's a, that's a super oversimplified solution to a complicated issue in relationship between family members. That, 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 that brother, that uncle, that, that aunt that you have that, that always makes comments every Thanksgiving that you see them and you don't say anything and you just harbor inside and you act like it doesn't bother you, but when you're alone at night, it keeps you up. And it, it makes you start playing those comments over and over in your head and it makes you feel belittled and less than. See, you, you just trying to take this oversimplified solution doesn't really give the, the results that you're thinking. There's repercussions. This is complex issues. And so let's continue reading in this story. Sarai just said the Lord will show who's wrong you or me. And that's what we often do with these family matters is we want to look for who's wrong and who's right. Abram replied, look, she's your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she ran away. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she replied. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the, and the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. This son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will rise, raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will raise his fit, uh, will be raised against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord. She had, uh, who had spoken to her. She said, "You are the God who sees me." She also said, I, "Have I truly seen the one who sees me?" So that well was named Bir Lahad Raoi, which means well of the living one who sees me. It can only be found between Kadesh and Bered. So Agar gave Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael. So we see, a, we finish this, this part of the story, and we see, we see this, this moment where Hagar just runs away, and she, she goes in, into this flight or flight mode, and what's so amazing that God sees her and reaches out to her and affirms her in everything that she's feeling. I mean, this is just such a, a complicated issue. And when God says to go back and submit to Sarai's authority, 
what I believe is that that was the best thing for Hagar to do in that moment. Being pregnant, having no, no resources, no family, no anything nearby. She would have probably died in the wilderness if she stayed. She made an emotional reaction. I can't take this anymore and ran away. And she would have, she would have most likely died in the wilderness. And so God telling her to go back. What are you saying? Hey, you need to put up with this for a little while longer. And just know that I see you. I see you. This is the best thing for you right now is to go back and put up with it for a little bit while longer. And what we see is not a right or wrong, but a, a, a moment where God is just leading Hagar to find peace in this moment. And I want us to really look at the tone throughout all the stories that we read today is that the tone that God consistently leads these super complex family issues to is to find peace rather than what's right or wrong within these family complicated issues. And what we see in this, this, whole, <laughs> this whole like petri dish of issues that were created by our quick, uh, quick solution schemes is we often have these problems within our lives. We have these character, personality traits, these childhood traumas that are formed from years and years and years. I mean, anyone that has ever gone to a counselor can tell you that every little issue in our life ends up forming our personality. Just all these little things as a child. I mean, just your second grade teacher making a comment to you will all of a sudden will form to this like mindset as an adult. It's crazy how every little thing affects us and creates the person we are today. And so when we look at these, even just like personality issues or like these issues within our families, the problems that we have with these family members that we feel so anxious to face, maybe it's our own parents, maybe it's siblings, whoever, we have these deep rooted issues. And when we get rub against each other, we often think that we can just pull weeds. Like it's, it's almost like we, we think that if I just make this comment, then they'll realize that they're wrong. <laughs> like that's ever worked, right? If I just say this or do this, or if I behave this way, it's going to make them change. And it's, it's ludicrous. These oversimplified ideas never work. And it's the mindset as that, oh, these are just weeds in their personality that I need to pull out. And the truth is, they are not weeds in their life or our life. It's actually this big, huge tree that has been watered and grown and buried, rooted deep into the soil of our hearts and our, our character. And it is not going to just be taken down in a moment. These are things that, this is a lifestyle or habits that we've had for years. It's going to take a lot more than a comment one day or a text one day to change our lives forever. I mean, when you think about if this is actually a tree rooted in our lives, tree of bitterness, tree of uh, whatever, then think about what the process is for taking down a tree. Jesus references bitterness in the New Testament as a mulberry tree. And when you think about a, a tree, if you cut, you first, you don't just like take out a tree. You have to cut down the limbs first. Then you have to cut the stump, uh, cut the, the, the main tree itself. And then you got this big stump. And you tie some chains around that. You, you use a tractor to pull it out. However, you get that huge stump with all the roots out. You still got this 
big gaping hole in the ground that you have to fill with something. And so if we imagine that in our hearts, man, it takes a lot more work and a lot more intention and a lot more gentleness than you realize to actually bring depth to these complex problems within our families. So I hope that gives us a, a, a moment to where we can step back and think, man, I don't think I can really change my family like I thought I could. And so let's, now that we understand these complicated problems within our families, let's look at some of these ideas of complex solutions. Solutions are not always universal and they may even require making certain people priority over others. What that means is we have to understand that there are wins, losses, and compromises within our families. And sometimes it feels like everybody has a win or everybody has a loss. And sometimes it feels like only one person has a win and one person has a loss. And solutions are just simply not universal. What worked with one family won't work for every family. What worked with between one person's mom and uh, uh, one person's relationship with their mom or their dad won't always work for you. You have to understand that it's really just a give and take. And when we look at perspective, when we look at perspective, it really has to change in order to find what is best serving for each family member individually. And sometimes it may be an untraditional outcome. And sometimes it may even be different from time to time. What may have worked 10 years, may not have worked 10 years ago, may work now. What may have worked 10 years ago, may not work right now. It, it just changes from time to time. And when I say that there's times where you even have to put levels of priority to those that we love, and it, that even changes with time. I'll give an example of just like in your, when it comes to relationship with your parents. As a young adult getting married, say you get married, you're a young adult, the level of priority between you and your parents is less than that of your newlywed spouse. You know, it, but the relationship with your parent in their last days are more priority than anybody else. It's their last days on earth, you know, being alive in sickness or whatever. Those are, that's a moment where it's, they are more priority than others. And, and so you have to really find a balance to like, what battles are you really uh, willing to fight? You don't have to fight every battle. Sometimes you have to choose them. And when you think about like uh, what most common scenario when like people first get married is that you get a whole plethora of complex problems that you never suspected. You never expected your, your in-laws to make certain comments when you're around. You're like, what the hell? Why did they say that? Or all of a sudden they, they think that you're this way or that way. But before the wedding is like, oh, I love you so much. All of a sudden you have kids and they're all this now all these little uh, advice or comments or things about how to raise your kids. And it's just irritating you. And you're and you, all of a sudden you're having to choose. Do I let my mom or my dad make comments about my spouse like that? Or do I stick by my spouse like what? It becomes just so complex in how you handle these issues. And for me, I believe that that your spouse in a non-abusive or damaging relationship. I'm talking about a marriage as just like 
a normal marriage. I'm not talking about abuse. I'm not talking about um, damaging marriage. I'm talking about just a marriage like any other. That every marriage has fights. Every marriage has arguments. You know, that's normal. And I really believe that in within a marriage that your spouse should always be number one, number one priority, even over children. Now, take a, take a moment because most moms would disagree with me 100%. Uh, I, a perfect example is that just looking at the way that parents feed their kids. With our kids, just like a lot of others, they'll go up to, to mom and they say, uh, uh, and she's like, oh, okay, gives her mom's food. They go up to dad, said, no, <laughs> you have your own food. You eat your food. And it's just something so simple where moms are just so much more naturally sacrificial for their children. It doesn't mean that dads aren't sacrificial. Being a parent is the essence of laying your life down for the betterment of your children. And it's seen in every moment of a baby's life. Waking up with no sleep just to cater to a crying baby that's crying for no reason. It's just the essence of parenting is laying down your life for your children. But when I'm saying what I'm saying about making your spouse number one priority, what I've found being me and my wife being youth pastors, being in youth ministry, student ministry for nearly 10 years, is that there are so many marriages that ended in divorce as soon as the kids graduated. They made the kids priority over the marriage for so long to where once the kids left, there was nothing longer, no, there was nothing any longer holding them together. It was just waiting for that moment. And I really believe that, that keeping a marriage strong is putting each other first. And it, I think it's more so best seen in the teenager years but it's also seen in, in little moments, even in the, the infant and toddler stage, where, where you're choosing to be the one to get up for the baby, or you're choosing the one to, hey, I'll look after them, you go sleep. You're, you're putting your spouse as number one priority, even, uh, even over other things. And I, I really believe that with this idea of marriage being number one, we it really sets us up for a strong future because no matter what, I mean, it takes both, pe both people to make the kid, right? And there's a time frame. I mean, usually, I mean, I don't know what's usual anymore, but I mean, that's a 20-year commitment to raise, raise even just one kid. And after that kid leaves and goes on and starts their life as a young adult, it's back. It's almost like you, you reconnect with your spouse like when you first got married. And it's something so special that, that as we're going into family matters, finding peace with your spouse is, is number one priority over every other family relationship. And so taking a step away from just marriage, looking at all of the, all of the family issues that encompass our lives, I really believe that people often become conditioned to being treated badly by family members. I really believe that people become conditioned to being treated badly by family members. What I've found is that those often hurt by family members the most also apologize the most. What I'm saying is that the, the one that 
it's usually the family member. Maybe that's you. <laughs> and you find yourself always being the one to doing, trying your best to be supportive, always trying to be the one to be there, always the one trying to be loving, but you feel like you're just a punching bag. You feel like you're the doormat and yet you're the one always apologizing. You know, uh, there, there's just moments where I've heard uh, people describe being attacked by like family members verbally and, and them reacting and saying, you know, you can't talk to me like that. And and then a, a couple of days later asking me, do you think that I need to apologize for, for snapping at them like that because I'm a Christian? And I'll, I'll just stop right there. A lot of us resonate with that right there. Like, well, should I apologize for, for reacting like that because I'm a Christian? Let me just say that if it was a reasonable reaction to what was done, you don't need to apologize for being a human, for having emotions, for for feeling the 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 raw emotion of needing to def, to say something or defend yourself. It, it's okay to have a backbone. As Christians, we are not called to be doormats or punching bags. You you can still love your family members and not allow them to treat you like crap. It it's just it's really that simple, and so. You do not need to. Uh, you do not need to continue to p- put yourself in unhealthy emotional places with your family members, especially when you need to protect your own emotions. I mean, if you're, especially if you're going through a really difficult time emotionally, don't don't allow yourself to just be completely unguarded from the family members that 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 beat you up like that. It is okay to put boundaries. It's okay to, even as we enter this time of Thanksgiving and, and having to face a lot of those family members, you do not, even if you're, you're uh, standing, you know, drinking some eggnog while, and someone starts saying some ugly things to you, you have the right to walk away. You have a, a right to say like, hey, you don't need to talk to me like that. Like, just, let's just stop here. And it's okay to confront uh, those those family members and issues gently and humbly like hey look I really don't appreciate you talking like that um, we don't really we don't need to even hash it out or anything let's just stop like just calm down and we don't need to talk about politics we don't need to talk about my faith we don't need to talk about religion you, you don't have to agree with me it's okay let's just let's just move on from here I want us to have peace while we're together you know just come sometimes we have to confront and people are so belligerent just put some distance like all right man we'll just chill out <laughs> and um having those boundaries is okay and you need to you need to allow yourself to be able to have emotional balance don't continue to to engage in unhealthy emotional uh people if especially when you're feeling emotionally unbalanced yourself it's just a disaster waiting to happen now with all this being said i want to share let's go back to our story and and uh, keep learning about what it was like for Abraham, for Sarah, for Ishmael. We see in Genesis chapter 21, verse 8 through 21, it says, When Isaac grew up, now let's back up. Isaac is the promised son that Abraham and Sarah were waiting for. And so now Ishmael is 13 years old. Isaac is about is about to be weaned and he's still a baby. And we see when Isaac grew up, and was about to be weaned, Abraham prepared a huge feast to celebrate the occasion. But Sarah saw Ishmael, the son of Abraham, and her Egyptian servant Hagar, making fun of her son Isaac. 
So she returned, she turned to Abraham and demanded, get rid of that slave woman and her son. She's not going to share in the inheritance with my son, Isaac. I won't have it. Let's stop here for a moment. It, I know that again, it looks like Sarah's just like going off the walls, but again, this is a super complicated family relationship. All of this family is living together and it's years and years of drama, years and years of drama. You think how awkward it was when Sarah was trying to discipline Ishmael at random points and Hagar was right there saying, oh, you don't need to talk to my son like that. He's my son. And Abraham just trying to, to manage these two, these two, his wife and this lady that he slept with and trying to just balance the emotions. I mean, this is such a complicated family issue with baby daddies and baby mamas that and they're all living together. I mean, it's a disaster. And so we can't just be so mad at Sarah all the time. We have to really understand this is complicated emotions, complicated situation. And so now let's continue reading. This upset Abraham very much because Ishmael was his son. Again, complicated story. But God told Abraham, do not be upset over the boy and your servant. Do whatever Sarah tells you, for Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. But I will also make a nation of descendants of Hagar's son because he is your son too. So let's, let's pause here real quick because this is probably one of my favorite parts of the story. This, God is so divine and so sovereign. Notice that he told Hagar to come back with Ishmael. And now he's saying, it's okay, you can let Hagar and Ishmael leave. And so it's, it, it's not about trying to please Sarah. It's, it's about what is best for everyone in this story. And this part of the story, it, it really shows God's heart and even empowering women, even in Genesis. We see that God is saying, listen to your wife. Ladies, that's, that's great news. God, right here in the first book of the Bible, God is saying, you need to listen to your wife. <laughs> you know, this... And, this is such a man of faith that he, even though it was conflicting in his emotions, it took God to speak to him. I mean, he didn't want to be a father that just sent his son out, but God literally says, look, this is actually for the best. And God spoke to him and he's, and says, listen to your wife. This is really for the best. And he says, don't worry, I'm going to protect Ishmael. He's your son too. I see that. And he's my child. And I'm going to protect him and take care of him. And he's going to be your descendants too. And he's showing Abraham, you can trust me with your son. And I think it's no coincidence that Ishmael is 13 years old right now. Anyone that has ever had teenagers before will be able to tell you that teenager phase is like the craziest phase. I've, I've once heard that teenagers are God's way of showing us what it's like to have someone created in your image rebel against you. <laughs> and it's it's no wonder at this phase where it's like a moment of either being uh, running away or getting kicked out, something that so many families experience. And in this moment, Ishmael is in this place where this is not even fair for him. Ishmael, I feel like Ishmael is the, the most... Uh, just most negatively looked at person in the Bible and when it comes to Genesis. And it's so unfair. He's 13 years old making fun of his little brother. What brother hasn't done that before? That's that's the most common scenario to make fun of your siblings. And here he's getting kicked out over it. It just shows 
what kind of animosity they were actually dealing with in this complicated household. You, what family gets kicked out? What brother gets kicked out for making fun of his little brother? Happens on the regular basis. That's how complicated this family was. And as we continue on, it says, uh, it says that, So Abraham got up early the next morning, prepared food in a container of water, and strapped them on Hagar's shoulders. Then he sent her away with their son, and she wandered aimlessly in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the, until the wa- when the water was gone, she put the boy in the shade of a bush. Then she went and sat down by herself at a hundred yards away. I don't want to watch the boy die, she said, as she burst into tears. But God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven, Hagar, what's wrong? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Go to him and comfort him, for I will make a great nation from his descendants. Then God opened Hagar's eyes, and she saw a well full of water. She quickly filled the water container and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy as he grew up in the wilderness. He became a skillful archer, and he settled in the wilderness of Paran. His mother arranged for him to marry a woman from the land of Egypt. This is the this is the most heartwarming story. And it's also just a glimpse of of what it's like for an for just really an unplanned pregnancy, teenage mom, whatever. I feel like the church has done a horrible job at handling this story because Ishmael's typically looked at as the mistake. The the promise the when you try to force a promise, it, what happens from man's hand if we don't wait for God's promise? And he's just always looked at as the mistake, the mess up, and that is just it paints such an ugly image of unplanned pregnancy. It paints such an ugly image of 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 just even being in poverty. I mean, we literally are seeing the the first uh, in scripture the first woman with no dad no father in the house with with no source of income and and with this baby and no one cares and we see that out of uh, and, and just look at that story right there that is a that is a reality of so many single moms is that they're trying their very best and they're they're trying to do everything they can and they're in a wilderness with no resources and people are just saying well that was your fault that was your mistake and it's not fair. But look at this part of the story. It says that God saw the boy crying. He saw Hagar and said, I will provide. And while other people's look at Ishmael as a mistake, it says that God was with the boy as he grew up in the wilderness. No one ever preaches that part of the story. It says that God was with that boy that had no father. The boy that everyone called a mistake, God was with that boy. The, the boy that everyone said, well, they should have never slept together anyway. God was with them. And so we need to see that God's hand is so strong. and He will move in whatever situation. If this boy was born out of adultery, God will still bless that child. God will still bless the life that he allowed to be created. And so God forbid any one of us to put any shame on an unplanned pregnancy, any shame on a teenage pregnancy, any shame on anything like that when there is life God permitted it to happen, and God will bless that child. Who are we to stand in the way of life like that? And 
it just it makes me so excited to see that God cares about the orphan. God cares about that single mom and he wants to provide. And there's so many times where God has put it on our hearts as Christians to rise up and be the hands and feet of Jesus and to take care of the widows and the orphans, to take care of these single moms and stop making all these these high-minded reasons of why they should help themselves. Shut up. That That is so ungodly. The, the Bible does teach all about wisdom and all about all, how to handle money. Yeah, of course. But it also says that, that we are to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I would rather on judgment day be so gullible and generous than be so wise that I withheld my hand from helping somebody. And, and so with what we also see in this story, that was just, I just felt kind of ex- passionate about that. So I'll digress. Let's, let's go back into this story for a moment as we wrap up. What we see is Ishmael, is this not the this, this scene in the story of so many young men that, that grew up without a father? It says that he was like a wild donkey, that he'll fight everyone and everyone will fight him. And what we see is that as God was with him in the wilderness, it says it, from that sentence to the next, it says he became a skillful archer. And the reason it says that is because it became his, his career, his, his, not only his hobby, but his career. And with God's guidance and helping him direct all that rage and all that raw emotion, he was able to direct it into a skill, into something. And instead of us just locking up these, these young boys in juvie and giving no chance and just just condemning them and, and p- putting so much judgment on these young boys that are acting out in rage. They need mentors to come alongside them and help guide that rage into a skill, into a trait, and help them to just really focus all that raw emotion. Because it's often the very things that we get in trouble for that end up becoming our, our best qualities as we're older. We, we, we need to, these, these young people, these young boys, these young girls need mentors and it, it, they don't need somebody else telling them that, that they're on the wrong track. They need people to help them to guide those emotions and those, those raw feelings to the right track. And with all that being said, the, the heart of this, this part of the story that I'm trying to say is that th- there's some complex problems that take complex solutions. We can't just say one thing to somebody and expect their life to be changed. We, we can't just get uh, offer help one time and expect everything to be better. I mean, if you've ever mentored someone, what you find is that there's so many issues and so, so much complexity that you can't just tell someone, if someone tells you all of their problems, if they were even to just expose and be transparent with all their problems, you cannot just simply give advice and it be all okay. You have to literally guide through all these complex ways to find solutions within themselves, within their surroundings. It is not just so easy. It's not that simple. And so I want us to close on this idea of making peace. I want us to close on this idea of making peace. Why did Ishmael and Hagar have to leave? Why did God say that? Because... It was at that point so much animosity to where 
Sarah was wanting to kick him out just for, for poking fun of his little brother, the animosity rose so much that it would have hindered Ishmael and Hagar's life. It would have hindered him as a teenage pers- a teenage boy, the fundamental part of emotions, to, to stay at that spot. And as hard and difficult as it was, the best thing for them was really to leave that horrible situation, that complicated family, uh, that com- all those complicated issues with that family. And it was the best thing for Abraham and Sarah in their marriage. What Abraham in that moment had to do was choose his marriage over his own children. One of the hardest things anybody could really do, and he chose his marriage as the most important thing. And I want us to continue with this, this last part of making peace. And I want us to focus on Ishmael's life. Restoration can be as simple super simple and it should be revisited from time to time because it could happen before another funeral in genesis chapter 25 verses 7 through 9 at this part of the story sarah has already passed away abraham remarried had all these other children and every child he had he ended up sending them away with provisions and, and things to get them started but he saved everything he had for the son of him and his first wife, Sarah. So Isaac, he's going to leave everything to Isaac and all these other children he sent away to, just like Ishmael. And it says, Abraham lived for 175 years, and he died at a ripe old age. Having lived a long and satisfying life, he breathed his last and joined his ancestors in death. His sons, Isaac and Ishmael, buried him in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre in the field of Ephron son of Zohar the Hittite this was over this has been 70 years over 70 years since Ishmael saw his father Abraham 70 years since he ever faced Isaac and it says that he came and made the time and distance to come and bury his dad you know, at first glance, it, it, you could just read over this part of the story and think nothing of it. But it doesn't say any of other Abraham's children came to bury him. It was only Isaac and Ishmael. And what we see is that Abraham had a complicated life. He had a complicated life. It doesn't even say his uh, Lot came to bury him. Lot was his first uh, stepson. He pretty much fostered Lot is his first foster child. It doesn't even say that he came to bury him. It just says, Ishmael and Isaac buried him in the cave of Machpelah. And why why would Ishmael come all this way to bury his father? The last experience he had with his dad was abandonment. And look, I, I don't think anybody's perfect. And we definitely see that Abraham isn't perfect. I think that Abraham's strongest trait was his marriage. Him as a father, I don't know. (laughs) But his strongest trait was his marriage. He always put his marriage first. And even even at God's leading, even that, that him sending Ishmael away was the best thing for him, that still hurts. That still hurts. And the last experience that Ishmael had from his father Abraham was abandonment and tears, just completely disconnect. So why did he come back? We know that none of the other kids came back. Why would they? They he, he deserted them too, right? 
That's why none of them showed up. But I really believe that the reason that he came to his father's funeral was to have that final closure, was for him to make peace with his dad. It's almost like nothing else really mattered. It didn't matter about being right or wrong. It was about making peace. And I really believe that the best thing when it comes to these family issues, these family matters, is that sometimes we don't need to search for being right. We don't need to search for being justified or them admitting that they're wrong. We really just need to actually search for us to find peace about whatever issue it is. And I think that it is stronger. It takes a lot more strength, but it it builds a lot more of your heart's emotions when you make peace before the funeral. He, He was able to finally make peace at the funeral, but when you're able to make peace before that funeral, man, that peace just follows through, you know, to where... It is just such a stronger peace. And you know, it, it has a lot less doubting. It has a lot less emotional trauma. You're able to make a peace a lot easier while they're still alive. I want us to just take a moment to stop here. And I want you to just, where you're at, just think about this, this idea of making peace. The issues with our families are complicated. Whether it's your parents, your siblings, your aunts, uncles, grandparents, anyone. You Right now, as we're talking about this, you're thinking of specific people in mind. And I want you to just take a moment to be able to open your heart and your mind to the idea that it is a complicated issue. There's some complicated problems in their life, in their heart, in their past, in their childhood. And there's some complicated issues in you too. And I want you to just have a moment. Would you be willing to find peace with this person, with this situation, without finding justice first? Would you be willing to just put this before the cross? The Bible says to lay all your burdens at the cross. Lay all your worries at the cross. And if you can find peace in this, you'd be at a spot where you could really just accept this person as they are. With all of their difficulties, with all of their, their, the things that you don't like. And stop expecting them to be the person you want them to be. How many times have we wanted our parents to be a different kind of parent? But if we were to just accept that That's just my mom. That's just how my dad is. He's always been like that. And accept them to be that person instead of trying to be like somebody else's parents. It makes it easier to find peace. And it makes it easier to love them. To accept them. You get in a lot less fights. You get in a lot less arguments. And what you are also able to do is it makes it so much easier to find forgiveness. With With that being said, I want you to have a moment where you pray and I want you to pray, God, I want you to say their names, say their names out loud and say, God, I I need you to intervene in this relationship. I want to find peace and I want to let things go. I I don't want to keep continue to look for justice because God, you're the one that gives me justice and I can find that in you. 
I don't need to search for it in them. I don't need to try to make it happen. I'd rather just have peace. And so I put them before you. And God, I, I just pray for peace between us. Peace in this relationship. Peace in my family. Because I don't need to carry this burden anymore. Pray whatever you got to pray. But I believe there's also some of you that the biggest wedge that you're feeling is the peace that you need between you and God. There's something there and you need peace in that relationship more than any other relationship. And so if that's you and you're ready just to just have this moment with God to where you lay all things down, all pre-assumptions down, and you just say, God, I want to have peace with you. That is only done through Jesus Christ. What he did on the cross, his resurrection. And the Bible says in the book of Romans that it is his kindness that draws us to him, that draws us to repentance. It's not his fear. It's not fear of God. It's actually his kindness. And it says in Romans 8 that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, Jesus is who he says he is. What that means is if you just are authentic and talk to God, that's what that verse is saying, that surely you shall be saved. Saved from all this turmoil. Saved from, from eternity, but also all this stuff that we carry. So if that's you and you're ready, I want you to just have that conversation with God. Say, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. You died on the cross for me, for the whole world, for our sins, and I believe you rose from the dead. I want to really have a relationship with you. I don't want religion. I don't want churchianity. I want a relationship with you. I want to know what it's like to see you, God, as my heavenly Father. I want to know what that feels like. And so, Jesus, be the Lord of my life, the Savior to my soul, and give me peace in Jesus' name. If you prayed that today, or if, uh, if at any point this is just hitting for you, can you please just comment or message us? We really would love to connect with you. Church is all about connection and community. And so if you've been a part of the Grave Top family, but you've been like that ninja person online that we don't even know that you're there, you just kind of come in and out, you listen, you listen afterwards, and we don't even know who you are, we would really love for you to take off your ninja mask and show yourself we want to connect with you. We want to be friends. We want to be family. We care about you. And if this message was just on point for you, be sure to, to like it, share it, and comment that this was just right for you. This is a season where we're going to have to face a lot of family members, especially after all of the politic talk. We're going to have to face them, and we have a lot of disagreements with our family, but wouldn't it be so much better to have peace and so we love you guys so much. I hope that this message was edifying to you. And if you have it on your heart to give today, one thing that we say at Grave Top is that we never want somebody to give out of pressure or persuasion. We, we want God to be the one to move on your heart. And we want it to be a free, a free thing from you too. Giving is something so personal. And it is truly a connection between you and God. And when you give to Gravetop Church, we are simply an avenue to your giving, to your generosity, to your act of worship. But we also want you to know that you make a difference at Gravetop when you do give. 
You help us to continue to meet with people. You help us to have church. You help us to have these messages that truly edify people. And you help make a difference at Grave Top and help us to continue to making a difference. And we want you to know that you are valuable. We love you and we appreciate uh, your, your trust in us. So if you have it on your hearts to do that today, you can just go to gravetop.com, click the Give tab. It tells you all the different ways to give there. You can give online. You can also give through third-party apps like Venmo or Cash App. Uh, and uh, with that being said, um, we are so grateful for you. We pray that you have a blessed, uh, blessed rest of your week. Let us know also again if you prefer mo- church online on Mondays instead of Sundays uh, in the evening at this same time. Sundays, uh, it's either Sundays or Mondays. Please let us know. Just comment Monday or Sunday so that we can kind of get an idea of of, uh, of what people prefer. But we love y'all so much. We love our online church. And if you haven't made it in person yet and you feel comfortable, you feel like you're ready, this Sunday we'd love to see you. It's going to be a great time. We have live worship. Uh, we have worship. We, we get to fellowship with each other. And we also have feedback questions, a time where we get to share with each other our hearts and our opinions and just edify one another with what we think about the message or what we think about uh, just sharing each other's lives. And so it's a very special time that we don't get to really experience online. So if you are able to join in person, we'd love for you to come. Um, with that being said, I, uh, we love y'all so much. Have a great rest of your evening. And All of y'all that have jumped on, thank y'all so much. I I see all y'all's comments. Y'all are awesome. Um, This was right on point. Thank you for sharing. Thank you so much, Sarah. That's awesome for you to sharing that. Hey, Stephanie, saw you on. Angie, Lisa, um, I'm so grateful for all of y'all. Lucy, I saw you too. Um, Y'all are great. Ari, you were like the first one on. We love you, Ariana. Uh, I hope y'all have a great rest of your evening. Goodbye. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.